Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is TeacherCast Podcast, episode number 203. I hope you guys are enjoying what is turning out to be an incredibly hot summer. We've been having over a 100-degree temperature here on the island in New Jersey. I want to know how you guys are doing. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, at TeacherCast, and, of course, leave us a voice message over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. I want to know how you guys are doing. We have a great show on for you today. Today we're talking to somebody who is an educator. He was an English teacher. He was a technology coordinator. And now he is the CEO and founder of an amazing professional development network called EdTech Team. I want to introduce my good friend, Dr. Mark Wagner. Mark, how are you today? Welcome to the program. I'm good. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, we were just joking before. It's, uh, as usual, 75 and sunny here in Irvine. So. Well, thank not, not doing too badly. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I am looking forward to this conversation. I know everybody out there listening has had to have come across Ed Team, Ed Tech Team, in some way at a conference or at an ISTE or something. Let's just kind of dive into this because we're going to hit a ton of topics today. Talk to us a little bit about yourself and and how did you go from classroom to Ed Tech Team? I guess let's just back up. Who is Mark Wagner? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's a lot of questions already. Um, by the way, speaking of chatting before this, I don't know if the Voltron conversation will wind up in the uh, in the uh, director's edition or the uh, <laughs> deleted scenes, but but uh, but it's it's good to be here and good to chat. I, um, I you know you I think you sort of shared the bare bones of it. I, I was a high school English teacher, and if you want to go back that far, there was um, you know an opportunity where the, uh, the tech coordinator of the school stepped down in frustration. <laughs> no surprise, right? And, uh, and I had some ideas about how it, uh, it might be done differently. So uh, it, it was great to have that opportunity to have the support of my principal and the, the staff at the time. And I, I was very much in the right place at the right time. We had some uh, anonymous uh, funds donated or funds donated anonymously for science education. And they spent a lot of that on, on technology. So um uh, I got to be in, in the right place at the right time to, to really invest in our school network and to invest in the computers and the software that the kids had access to. And um, that, that opened doors for me. So I, I got an opportunity at the, at the district level to, to manage. It was actually a, uh, an early one-to-one -one grant. We put uh, Palm Tungsten E handhelds <laughs> into the hands of 1,300 middle school kids. And uh, that was... Uh, uh, there, there were really some some bright points and some low points and, and as much chaos as you can imagine. But I learned learned a lot from that uh, that project and and that opened some doors uh, for work at the Orange County Department of Ed here in uh, California. Um, and in that role, at least nominally, I, I oversaw education technology professional development for 30 school districts and half a million kids. It uh, doesn't mean any of the teachers knew who I was or utilized our services, but <laughs> uh, but we were there. Um, and I did, I only did that for about 18 months. Um, and it was a very, uh, sort of, uh, political, uh, culture. And, and in the end, uh, you know, I, I realized I could, uh, for the sort of work I was doing for them and what they were charging schools for, I could step away and, and do it on my own. Um, and there was some, some big changes in my life. I often joke that quitting caffeine helped me uh, quit my job because <laughs> that, uh, that tunnel, tunnel, uh, vision wasn't there anymore. Um, but, uh, sure enough, when, when I quit my job and made some space in my life, there was, uh, more than enough things to rush in and fill it. 
Um, I, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do it right and, and uh, incorporated uh, and set up the business from the, from the get go. Um, you know, rather than sort of uh, doing the uh, the consultant speaker, you know, uh, just send me some checks in the mail gig. Uh, I wanted to be sure that I set up a, a company right off the bat, and um, and I suppose doing that opened some doors too. I, I um, my uh, my first big client, as a lot of people know, was the Computer Using Educators nonprofit in in California, and through them, ended up doing work with Google and uh, working on the very first Google Teacher Academy, and that's sort of uh, like it has for a lot of people. I think was the the rocket. <laughs> Uh, strapped to my back, if you will. Um, so I was a coach at the very first uh, Google Teacher Academy, and um, uh, I was at the third. And after that, I ran it for a number of years uh, through Q. And obviously, uh, as, as years passed, Ed Tech Team picked up that contract um, rather than subcontracting, and I've, I've run it for the last several years too. Um, so that that sort of being in a position to be a Google partner before there was a Google partner program, <laughs> uh, uh, obviously opened a lot of doors. And, um, in 2011, um, a, a few of us had the idea that we wanted to not just, uh, create the first, uh, Google for education summit in, uh, Google apps for education in those days summit in California, but we wanted to, if we we're going to put all this work into it, we wanted to take it on the road. So that very first year in 2012, we, we, uh, we launched the first summit in July and we took, uh, we had nine of them by the end of the year, including Mexico and Singapore and went international straight away. So, um, that obviously led to a lot of, a lot of other things and it, it, uh, it doubled every year for several years. We did, I think 28 in the, the next year and 49 the next year and 102 the year after that. And, um, and then been, uh, until last year at about a hundred summits a year. Um, we've cut way back on that this year cause like the context is really different and we realized we were working just as hard for these <laughs> smaller events, 90 miles down the road from each other. But, um, so we're sort of focusing on the, the, the bigger ones and, and making a more regional approach again, sort of what it was to begin with. But um, along the route, you know, that that opportunity to from a business perspective, because I know that's part of the, the topic you're interested in, that that moved us out of a position of uh, twiddling our thumbs and waiting for school districts to, to pay us <laughs> uh, to collecting all the money up front from ticket sales. And that that fueled a lot of our growth. Um, you know, it's an interesting history listening to here and so many teachers I've had the opportunity over the last few months to work with want to figure out, you know, not just how to create a business to help supplement their income, but really go out of their way and make a difference in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that I, I'm anxious to talk to you about, and I've been really deep diving since we uh, caught up at, at ISTE, is your book that came out last year called yep. More Now. And yep. in there, you said that the book is designed to help people raise awareness regarding what's possible today, to inspire you to develop your own vision for the future, and to yep. empower you to take that next step yourself. Um, I, I think that's awesome. And I look at the work that we're doing here on TeacherCast and I look at the work that so many educators out there are trying to do, whether it be in the consulting room or as tech coaches or, or even just any kind of edu or entrepreneurship here. The whole concept of inspiring people to develop their own vision for the future. What, what does that mean to you? How did you come up with that? And how is that leading not only everything you did here in the book, but everything that Ed Tech team is doing? Yeah, I, I, there's uh, there's a lot of pieces to that, and and I think I can sort of complete a thought and transition into what you're you're asking about, in the sense that um, you know uh, having that sort of change in our business model and collecting ticket 
money up front allowed us to to start a lot of other other things that allowed us to launch breakout edu and it allowed us to um do things like the dynamic learning project and the work we did with facebook and uh launch things like student voice uh foundation and uh, our voice academy um and that that sort of uh to some degree being in the right place at the right time and to some degree making uh, prudent decisions about our business model open the doors to make a lot of impact. Um, and I think uh, a, a big transition for us conceptually, although you know our, our mission kind of was always the same from the beginning, uh, what happened in 2013, 2014. Um, I incorporated in 2006 uh, and, and benefit corporations didn't exist in California at the time. So by 2013, 2014, they did. And, and we learned about them and, and decided to switched the company to a benefit corporation. So a California benefit corporation is, is going to be uh, taxed like an ordinary corporation. It's still for profit. Uh, but the bottom line is the um, mission, not not the profit. Uh, and the, the impact that we make is, is ultimately what we're after. So the directors can make decisions based on uh, furthering the mission, not rather than necessarily uh, maximizing profit, which is typically the fiduciary responsibility of, of company company directors, right? So we 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 formalize the fact that you know whatever happens to this company in the future, uh, we're not beholden to maximize shareholder value. For instance, we're beholden to maximizing impact in schools. So our you know the, one simple version of our mission is that we inspire and empower educators, right? And that's when I break that down, the inspiring is. Is that giving them a sense of what's possible, uh, you know, helping them see what people are doing today and what they could be doing, uh, and that the empowering is making them feel like they can do it, you know, when they go back to their their classroom or their school on Monday, right? So the the book really was an, uh, an effort to capture a lot of what the work we were already doing. It was an effort to capture a lot of my own sessions uh, and a lot of the, the sort of stories and anecdotes that I told over and over again. And it was an attempt to capture the the philosophy behind the company. And that's where the, the honeycomb comes from. And I can talk more about that. Um, but to, to sort of start with your, your ending question there about, uh, you know, encouraging people to develop their own visions for the future. I, I've always been a... <laughs> a pretty decentralized guy and, and to some degree that uh, even even at the size that tech team is now and uh, uh, we've got just about 40 employees and 400 contractors hmm. and um, and th- there's parts of that 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 um, uh, somewhat go against my my <laughs> uh, edgy blogger rebel ethic if you will in the sense that uh, y- you do have to make some compromises to lead an organization that you, you wouldn't have to make as an individual. Right. But I'm not philosophically, I'm, I'm not the sort of person that wants to see a top down implementation that wants to see uh, standardization in the classroom that wants to see a system that everybody uh, can implement because I, I, I don't think that's really what's valuable about what's happening in schools. I think teachers sharing their passions and expertise is, is much more valuable and kids having, you know, a unique path through, the school and the unique experience because it's a unique teacher is, is much more important. And I think the sorts of tools I get excited about, whether it's Google's tools, you know, open-ended tools like Google Docs or um, uh, <laughs> Google Sites or, you know, anything that your blogger that people are using to publish with uh, or, or other 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 blogging platforms or wikis or podcasts and th- this sort of thing, the idea that, um, you know, in a lot, anyone can publish 
today to a global audience, right? Like that sort of thing is is much more important to me that we we teach and share and spread uh, tools that are open-ended to conserve the purposes of, of the person using them, whatever their passions and interests might be. And, and that's really the value of helping kids solve the problems that they're going to encounter in the future. You know, us standardizing education now to anybody's vision is not going to help with the diversity of problems we're going to face. Uh, and and I think a more open-ended system is is more in keeping with um, what we're going to need, or at I, least it's more in keeping with my vision. I, I, I think one of the things is, as, as, I'd like everybody to have my vision of <laughs> plurality, really. Well, but that's tough, right? I mean, when we, right. when we look at professional development and, you know, we have a chance to work with a lot of tech coaches who are then training the adults to do that. And that's, that's really what ed tech team is, is known for their summits, their PD, all these different things. As we're looking forward to going back to school in this in the summer, I know a lot of teachers are asking themselves, how can I make things different? How do I not just go back to, you know, last year, part two? And one of the things that you mentioned in the book is, is this quote of, you are the architect of the possible. Mm-hmm. It is our, it is everybody's job to figure out what is possible and then let it happen. Again, whether it be something open-ended for the students to find their way or as an, as an educational leader to set the stage and let their teachers be the guide. What does that whole concept of, of, you know, architect of the possible, A, that fits right into everything that you just said about what Google Docs is being open-ended mm-hmm. and open everything. But also, as far as business owners, I mean, it, it really does kind of mean the future is whatever you want to make it. Your companies are whatever you want to make it. Yeah, I think I was reading something else that comes to mind right now. I'm not going to be able to cite it just right, but it was suggesting that we're, a lot of people sort of think very deliberately about the future. I think, I mean, some people don't obviously, uh, but even the people that think deliberately about the future sometimes miss the fact that we're creating it all the time. Like we're all of us together in little increments every day are, are creating the future. And I think the more intentional we can be about that, the better. And that the, the architect of the possible phrase that, that actually comes from the, the slip of paper that came with uh, Google Glass, right? And and uh, I was sure how ambivalent I was about being invited to spend fifteen hundred dollars on Google Glass. <laughs> but when I opened the box and saw that paper that said, you know, you're you're an architect of the possible, I, I you know, then I was in. I'm like, yes, this is absolutely why I do this. It's why I, I I love the bleeding edge of technology, and it's why I love seeing what teachers do with it in schools. Um, and, and regarding decentralization, there's no way I could come up with all of these things myself. Like, we, I, you know, this book is full of other voices and full of other leaders and full of other examples. And it's, um, you know, perhaps my unique contribution is to be able to share that with people, but, but to share what I've seen in the schools around the world. But um, but there's there's no way one person could come up with all that. You've got to put the tools in the hands of people to, to let them do it. I sort of lost the, the train of my thought there, but the idea that we're we're always making the future, creating the future, whether we like it or not. We, we need to be in, intentional about that and, and creating the sort of future we want to see. And, and frankly, if I could bring another geeky topic into it, I don't see it behind you. I see your, your, uh, your, your Voltron and your, uh, <laughs> uh, it's not a Koopa Trooper, but uh, Bowser, right? That is Bowser. Yes. Yeah. I, I uh, but you know, I find myself re- reinvigorated about the Star Trek franchise as it's all, all coming back. But I was a huge Trekkie as a kid. I mean, like fifth grade, I was watching all the original series and playing the role-playing game. Uh, but 
you know, one of the things that inspires me about that vision of the future is that people are using tech, working together, using technology and science to solve problems. And mm. I think ultimately, if the work we're doing here at EdTech Team serves to bit by bit build a future where that's possible, where our you know, our kids uh, are going to have a world where more people are working together using science and technology to solve problems. Uh, I, I think that will have been, um, you know, that'll be work I'm, I'm proud of. Talking today to Dr. Mark Wagner, author of More Now, a message from the future for the educators of today. And, and you keep talking about this whole concept of what can we learn, where can we go, and the future is ours. I want you to talk a little bit about the Student Voice Foundation. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but um, what exactly is the Student Voice Foundation? Yeah, the story behind it is kind of interesting, too, because they're um, through the, uh, shout out to James Sanders, of the founder of uh, Breakout EDU. When, when, he, uh, when he first came to work to us, to, with us, um, I'd met him, of course, through the uh, Google Teacher Academy, and, and he did the first uh, YouTube teacher studio there in, uh, I think it was 2011, and uh, in Seattle. And um, a couple of years later, after he'd, he'd done some work with, uh, with YouTube and, and uh, with Chromebooks, he wound up uh, doing an uh, internship at the White House. And uh, at, toward the end of that, he had uh, come up with this phrase, really, more than anything, this idea of future-ready schools, and had... Um, you know, shared that on the, uh, on, it eventually sort of made, made it to the white house blog, but it was, it was a long story before that, that really, uh, came to fruition. But one of the things that came out of that was this focus on student agency, right? And this is part of the, the honeycomb we, we have now. And I'm sorry, I found myself diving into a much longer story about the origin of the honeycomb at future ready schools. But, uh, when he was, when he, when he, was at the uh, White House still. James was involved with the uh, the um, White House Student Film Festival, which was uh, a nationwide K twelve student film festival. And the uh, unlike many other festivals, it was focused on K twelve. A lot of student film festivals are essentially higher ed, like film school students. Um, and it, a lot of K twelve film festivals are really regional. You know, we have we have one in Southern California, for instance. But this was a nationwide K twelve film festival, and was really special. Uh, and you know, students of of a lot of the people in our our network and our our, our team uh, were involved, and it was a really great experience. Um, uh, <laughs> apparently, Obama said it was his favorite thing he did every year, but I'm sure he said that about a lot of things. But when Obama left office, that went away. Hmm. And there was a clear void. And we thought to ourselves, like, hey, we're in a position where we've got this uh, not only nationwide network, but global network. Uh, we certainly got people with the capacity to run uh, uh, a uh, competition like this, a student film festival. Um, and we could we could do it international. And it's one of the things, by the way, that I felt was missing from the, the um, U.S. Department of Ed's version of Future Ready Schools is they, they kind of uh, – explicitly said, ah, we really only care about U.S. schools. Uh, and they kind of left aside that idea of diffusion of innovation across international borders that I think has actually <laughs> been really important to at least my my understanding of what's possible in education. And it's something I try to share with others. And I think you'll find it in the book, too. So we said, what if we what if we filled this void and um, create an international student film festival for you know, K-12 students? And um, we started thinking about who good partners would be. And we video was an obvious 
partner in this. Um, and thankfully they, they were on board. So we, uh, ed tech team and we video have sponsored it the last, uh, two years, but we actually set up a separate nonprofit, uh, to run this. So props to Jenny McGarrett cause she's been really involved the whole time and she's the, the president of the nonprofit now. And the idea is, uh, and we just finished our second year and we're, we're going into our third, hopefully, you know, we don't, we don't have uh, funding secured yet, but hopefully that'll work out. Uh, and you can go to studentvoice.org and donate for what it's worth. But, um, but we need to lock in our, our corporate partnerships again. But the idea is kids uh, submit videos on a theme. They have to adhere to pretty strict uh, requirements when it comes to uh, intellectual property and digital citizenship. Um, and then they, uh, the videos are judged by a panel of students and teachers. Uh, we have student board members, by the way, on the, on the board now, too, after our second year. And, uh, and then there's a celebration of the, the winners at the ISTE conference. Um, ISTE donates the, the space in the sort of AV production uh, space. And um, this year, actually, we moved also to having our student board members MC the event. Hmm. Um, so it's this great celebration of student voice. The, the filmmakers are uh, flown out to, to uh, the event and, and given awards and that sort of thing. And their parents come. So it's, it's a really special experience for, for the winners, of course. But it's also a great experience for all of the classes and all the teachers that participate uh, over the course of the year. So, uh, And the themes are, are typically pretty um, provocative and pretty focused on uh, kids being able to create the world that they want for the future. So um, definitely in line with everything we're talking about today. And, and um, if you guys want to check it out, the listeners, you know, it's uh, studentvoice.org. Um, and you, you and your students can participate in uh, year three. And again, that link is studentvoice.org. The links to everything we're going to be talking about are over here in our show notes over on teachercast.net. This is TeacherCast podcast episode number 203. Talking today to Dr. Mark Wagner from EdTech Team. You can find out more information at edtechteam.com. Now, Mark, you've been talking about the honeycomb. And I want to talk a little bit about this because really you've created or your team has created a series of six um, pillars. And just to kind of go through them a little bit here what we have courageous leaders we have empowered teachers student agency inspiring spaces robust infrastructure and engaged community yep clearly don't have time to go through every single thing in detail we'll leave that for the next couple episodes but when it comes (laughs) to actually putting the future in front of us you say that courageous leaders are connected, collaborative, and visionary risk takers, which I love mm-hmm. that phrase, who support initiative and innovation in others. And you have your schools are, it, a little bit later in the book, it says schools are desperate for leaders to, who will set a long-range vision, complete with an urgent time schedule, and who will commit the energy and resources to ensure from fulfillment. I'm it's sure many people who, yeah, it's a mouthful. I'm sure many people here are listening and going, all right, my, my superintendent gets up and says something, but then doesn't provide the support. Or we have a roadmap, but we don't know how we're going to get there, but we're trying to figure out backwards how to get this. Why is it important that we have not only visionary reader, leaders, but we all know what's going on on that roadmap to, to success? Yeah, I, uh, I actually think that you figure it out as you go along. Method is a pretty good one, and and we don't necessarily need to all know what's on that roadmap to success. It's it's good to have shared goals, and it's good to be audacious about those. Um, but you can certainly figure it out as you go along. I, I think the the adjective that we honed in on for that element of the honeycomb being courageous uh, really came from the fact that the the that looks different in different schools. 
but that was the unifying element we found when we walked into schools and said like, Oh, like th- this is special. This is, this is something that impresses us. And, mm-hmm. and this is something that we see as a future ready school. And, and um, cause this, this honeycomb came out of that early work with future ready schools. They've obviously done their own thing now. And that's another story. <laughs> um, but at the time that we were, we were working on it, this, this was the, the early versions of the honeycomb. Uh, and, and part of the philosophy, by the way, is that, uh, you know, courageous leadership is not enough. If that's the only thing you have and the leader leaves, you know, all the initiatives die. You, you also need to be empowering teachers and you need to uh, be encouraging student agency and make sure that the space represents the learning philosophy that you want in the building. And then you need to be engaging community in that vision and, uh, you know, providing the robust infrastructure to support all that. Like if, if any of those pieces are missing, it, it sort of falls apart. But, but the focus, particularly on the leaders, you know, courageous leadership can look very different. Uh, and we, we really didn't want to pigeonhole what that is in any, any, you know, any more than I want to pigeonhole a teacher's curriculum or what they do with Google Docs, right? Um, but the idea that the, the the leader has to be courageous, I think, is the important thing. It's not terribly popular, by the way. It doesn't, doesn't sell tickets. <laughs> Leaders don't, I, I think, uh, as a whole, don't want to uh, acknowledge that they're not courageous or that they need uh, <laughs> training and being courageous. Uh, but uh, but the, the ones that do sort of take up the mantle, um, that, that put a vision out there and that um, – you know, stand behind and support the the people at their their sites. Those are the ones where we see special things happen. And if and if you have a uh, a leader who's playing it safe, who's uh, afraid of of their leadership or afraid of their uh, constituency or afraid to make a mistake, like that's those aren't the schools where we see anything interesting happening. Well, I, I'm interested in the first word here of this definition. It says connected. Now, for many mm-hmm. of us, we take the word connected and somehow we put the word Twitter. Is that what your definition is? Or are you saying connected as in the leader? You'll see that superintendent in the classrooms getting their hands dirty, connected with what's going on in the buildings. Yeah, or- I think all those adjectives are certainly open to interpretation, which is a good thing. But I, I think connected today does need to mean beyond the walls of your your building right uh particularly in a, in a in a formal leadership role and by the way courageous leadership is also inclusive of teacher leadership and so on um student leadership but in a formal leadership position like a school principal for instance uh it, it that can be a very isolating place and uh and it you can fall easily into that role of a middle manager um, and, and you, you, you've got to, at the very least be networking with other principals and that, that can look like traditional, you know, meetings or conferences and, uh, socials, that kind of thing. But I, I think you gain a lot when you are reaching out beyond the borders of your school, the borders of your district, the borders of your state or country and, and, uh, being an instrument for the diffusion of innovation. And that, that, I think, takes some courage to say, hey, I've seen this idea happening in in Philly or I've seen this idea happening in in New Zealand and I want to try it in my school in California. Um, It takes some courage, but uh, a a lot less than doing it in a void, right? Like you're going to see what's working. You're going to get ideas from other people. You're going to have that that synergy with with other school leaders. And I, I don't really think that's possible if if you're just leading a school in your hometown, uh, it's certainly great to still be a, a good principal in a lot of other ways, but you're going to have a hard, harder time uh, innovating if you're, if you're not 
allowing yourself to connect with communities that are innovating in schools. You, so you when, just, you simply have blinders on. I mean, even, even doing what I do for as long as I've done it, I, I remember the first time talking to a, uh, uh, listening to a speaker from Australia, Tom March, I think was his name. And, uh, and realizing like, Oh my God, ISTE in 2006 and realizing that, you know, they, they, they didn't have, no child left behind, of course, right? But mm-hmm. they, they weren't under, at the time, the same sorts of pressures around standardized tests and so forth. Um, and he actually said something that stuck with me. I don't know if this, this story really fits here, but uh, I ended up asking him, uh, you know, what do you say to teachers who who feel like they can't try this? And we were talking about blogs and wikis and podcasts, it's the heyday of Web 2.0, right, and the edgy blogger, edgy blogger sphere. Uh, and he... Um, and I said, what do, you, what do you say for teachers who feel like they can't do this, that they're not supported by their leadership? And he said, uh, be subversive. Uh, was, he went on to elaborate, but his, his instantaneous two-word answer has stuck with me uh, all this time. And uh, hopefully I've done more, more good than harm by sharing this with, with educators over the years. But, but um, you know, part of that, that courage, and I think this goes for building your district administrators, too, if they're, if they're concerned about other layers of leadership, is, is be subversive. Like, do it first and then show everybody how awesome it was. Um, it's the old uh, ask forgiveness, not permission. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we see over and over in this community that it's awesome if you're, if you're just a little bit subversive and try something new and, and, and give your kids the opportunity to – be creative and pursue their passions and and make an impact in the world themselves. Do you feel that leadership is something that is kind of born inside you or is this a learned trait? Oh, no, there might be a little bit of both, but I think even the sense, the bit that feels like it's born inside of you is probably pretty environmental in terms of uh, how how you grow up, who you grow up with, what sort of opportunities you had as a kid. Um, you know, in my case, I can see a, a thousand ways looking back that my, my parents cultivated that. And, and today we, um, you know, my, my team went through the, uh, we did leader box for a, a full year. You can see one of the, well, one of the shelves back there, <laughs> all the leader box books and, uh, absolutely like reading and learning from other leaders, um, is going to help, like, you know, it's going to open your eyes to things that you, you maybe weren't aware of or wouldn't have thought of. And it's going to build, especially over time, build patterns, uh, that, that you might not build on your own with only your own experience. You know, much, much of our audience is in that tech coach genre right now where, you know, yeah. we we're classroom teachers and now suddenly we're leading programs. And yep. for many of us, that doesn't mean administrator that, but that still means administrating a you know, a, a program and doing all that stuff. Yeah. Call it um, coordinator, right? Coordinate all, all those different titles. You're in charge of your own destiny, really, as you're looking here. You also mentioned in the book about the, the Google pillars of innovation and the one that it, it always sticks out is number eight, never fail to fail. Always try yeah. something. And, and that's a Google thing. I know that means something to you. That certainly means something here in TeacherCast. What does that mean? And how do we get through those tough times where you do hit that brick in the wall and you're like, Mm. How do you well, get I'm back up? that right now? But uh, some of the some of the other phrases that that go along with that for me are, uh, and and these come from the culture at Google. They certainly come from some older cultures in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. Um, the idea of failing forward, right? Uh, we we don't mean 
failure in the way that teachers often mean it, which is like sort of fall on your face with a F at the end of the semester kind of thing. Uh, but, but making mistakes and learning from them and moving forward from them. Uh, and, and the other phrase is, uh, failing fast. So making mistakes as, as soon as you can so that you can learn from them quickly, right? Um, Rich Duvall spoke at one of our summits uh, several years ago from uh, from the X Lab at Google, or just X for Alphabet now. And uh, he, he described his job as uh, as failing fast. That was the mandate of his job. And when he was um, he has this great story about coming up with the, the idea for Project Loon, but uh, to hone in on the important part, when they were first creating prototypes for Project Loon, which obviously provides uh, internet access from the stratosphere for, for people on the ground, it's intended for uh, uh, developing countries where they don't have infrastructure for internet, uh, that he had to basically crash as many balloons as he could as fast <laughs> as he could so that he could learn what didn't work so that they could get to what did. Um, and uh, I think the way he told the story, it was like they named all the balloons uh, alphabetically and they got to like L or something before they had a successful balloon. But the idea was he was, he was failing fast and failing forward and learning from his failures. Um, and so, yeah, the, the other phrase they use at Google is never fail to fail. If you're, if you're playing it so safe that there's, there's no failure involved, you're, uh, you're doing something wrong. Um, there's a, a guy, I think it's a Mario Andretti quote too. If, if everything's under control, you're not moving fast enough. Yes, I've heard that one. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, when we're looking at this, there's so many teachers that are out there that want to take that same step that you have. That let's take go from the classroom to being that entrepreneur, that edupreneur. What advice do you have for them? Is it is it go out and fail? Is it go out and try something? Is it wait till next summer? Get to the like. What, what advice do you have for anybody that wants to go out there and and just find that side hustle, something that they're passionate in? Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking, looking at your your uh, show notes before jumping on, and and, uh, and and you had said something about branding too, right? And, mm-hmm. and building their own brand. And and initially, I actually had sort of a negative reaction to that. Like, I know there's it's it's important to you know d- decide what your message is and decide what your the the personality of your brand is going to be, and to decide the name and the color and the logo and all of those things, but. But I do feel like we're at a place where that's detracting from the conversation in education, particularly in geeky ed tech circles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I'll sort of begin my response with, with that, that sort of caution. Like, I feel like having been involved with Twitter since the beginning in education, I mean, it was in 2006 or something, and, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and having been involved with the uh, you know, the edgy blogosphere before that, if you will, and 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 remembering those days of sort of going on uh, Twitter and sort of finding cool stuff that people were sharing and and feeling like anything I wrote for work or for school, I could turn around and share too. And um, and I feel like that's changed. And some of that is my my role is obviously different. Um, when I, I was talking about taking an old Chromebook and converting it to Linux the other day, I had that experience again that people were, you know, geeky folks were giving me all kinds of advice for free on Twitter. Um, but, uh, and, it, and I felt that sort of like camaraderie and community around it again. But I feel like a lot of that is missing now when so many of the educators who are doing cool stuff in their, in their schools and wanting to share it 
are, are sort of doing that in the context of a brand. And obviously I say this as the <laughs> CEO of a company and, and, and <laughs> brand that's come a long way, but uh, I feel like that, that, uh, that detracts from things. And, and I, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm part of that detraction right now too. Most of what I post is ed tech team related. Right. Um, and I, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of value in, in some wisdom I heard, Boy, in the early days of blogging, it would have been the late 90s even, a um, guy named Dave Weiner, who was an, an mm-hmm. early blogger and, and, by the way, came up with the idea yes. of a hyper camp, which we use for Spark Camp at the Innovator Academy and so on now, but uh, or at least inspired it. Um, but, you know, and he's not alone in saying this, but he, he said, send them away to bring them back, right? Like, there's there's got you've got to be pointing people towards things that are going to be valuable to them. You've got to be offering them things that are valuable to them. But ultimately, you you probably can't be that prolific. And, <laughs> uh, and you probably ought to be acknowledging the work of others. And so pointing them towards things um, that would be valuable to them could be could be really important. That said, I think reflecting back on my experience, like if you, if you really are serious about building something outside of your job, um, you, you don't need to be serious about building something outside of your job and building a business in order to participate in, in the sort of global conversation and, and diffusion of innovation and, and that, and that sort of thing. You can have a blog, you can have a podcast, you don't, and you can be sharing, you don't need to be, you don't need to build a business out of it or build a brand out of it. Uh, but if, if you're going to, I, I think it's, you know, reflecting on my experience, I think I would say do it right and, and build the foundation right from the beginning. You know, one of the things I, I feel like I did well was incorporating up front and mm-hmm. sort of sorting out that business structure up front and um, being clear about it with the, the people that I brought on to work with me. And I think, you know, places I failed or times I was less clear or, um, you know, bring, bringing in professional help perhaps later than I should have. Right. We, uh, and tech team's 13 years old, but we've had a marketing director for like a year and a half. And we, <laughs> we had no marketing program before that. And we, we, uh, we just hired our financial controller this year. Um, you know, I certainly worked with a CPA and his firm took care of a lot for us before that. But, um, you know, I, I did a lot myself. I drew up a lot of the uh, legal documents myself. Um, we, we obviously have a lawyer now that, that works with us on a lot of things. Um, so th- there's been an escalation of that, but I, I think I've never regretted the times that I did things right early on. Obviously we cut a lot of corners and we, um, we flew by the seat of our pants and we made things happen. We might not have made happen if we had been doing everything by the book, but, uh, I've never regretted doing anything carefully and right the first time. And, and if you're going to build a business, I, I would recommend thinking, up front about how how is that going to scale right um doing a, a service business is is uh sort of the obvious next step for a lot of teachers and and that doesn't necessarily scale and it's and it's a pretty thankless job like we've we've worked really hard to diversify a little bit when it comes to making books or online classes or you know, we got lucky with launching breakout edu but what what does it look like to for us to create chrome extensions or create software or create a product that the teachers would use it would be more scalable um, i think that's where we need people's innovation and, and help and so forth i don't, I don't know that um, I may be biased because there's so much competition in the professional development space right now but we don't really need more brands around 
education technology <laughs> professional development, right? Um, uh, you know, on the bright side, I kind of feel like our, our work at EdTech Team is sort of uh, perhaps inspired and empowered a, a generation of teachers to, to do that sort of thing and to, to bring their message to the world. And I think that's really good. And I, and I, um, and, and that's something I'm sort of proud to be a part of. But I, I do think that 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 sort of every everybody on Twitter having their own brand is is beginning to be counterproductive. Hmm. Um, and someone who's really, truly entrepreneurial and wants to launch something of value to others and hopefully a value to them um, over time and eventually like they should think more about what what is the unique thing that they could bring or build or offer um, to to the world and not you know, just be another one of what everybody else that's out there and not, not want to be, uh, you know, not, not aim for being an influencer or something, but what is, is what's the thing of value you're actually offering. Right. And, and I hope that's as encouraging as it might be <laughs> discouraging. But <laughs> Well, look, if it is encouraging to you out there, please let us know. You'll, you can, of course, find Mark over at EdTech Team. You can find us over here on TeacherCast. The book is called More Now. Uh, Mark, before we, we wrap, wrap down here, you end the book by saying that the mission is to have is to, is to encourage people to dream up the world you want to live in yeah. and empower those to work and serve to do the same. I love that. It's, it's, it's very similar to what we believe here, you know, being a place for teachers to help other teachers. Why, why is that important? Not just to the world, but why is that deeply important to Dr. Mark Wagner? And it, you, you also say, start by showing others what is possible. I'll throw that in there, but why is that an important way to end your book? And why is yeah. that an important way to kind of end and wrap up our conversation today? Yeah, I think it's it sort of tie, uh, uh, thank you because I, I hope that this will be a, a good encouraging note to end on. But I, I think it it uh, it wraps up a lot of the themes we've talked about today, uh, in the sense that we we really shouldn't count on somebody else to create the future that we want. Right? We need everybody's voice in there, and we need our own voice in there. And I, and I think. Um, among the reasons for a teacher to launch a business, that's probably among the best of them also is, is to, to have your voice out there and have your vision out there and to help create the, the future you want to see. I think I often talk to educators and students who, um, you know, want something different and better for schools, but feel like they're, they're stuck with what they have, or it's not their place to, to make the change, or, or they don't have the ability to make the change. But every single one of them has far more ability than they might be giving themselves credit for, right? I, I, I certainly believe in our, our ability to create a, a, a better future, and, and I think we need everybody involved with that. I think for me, when you ask about why it's so important to me. So much of my life has been dedicated to trying to bring about a better future as fast as possible, right? I uh, I, I mean, I grew up with Star Trek and uh, I grew up with the NASA poster on my wall that said we'd be on, be on Mars by 2014. And, uh, and I went to school to be an aerospace engineer. I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo uh, to study astronautics and had classes like spacecraft system design and orbital <laughs> mechanics. And, um, and there was nothing to work on. Mark, you know, I want to. Sorry, I, I, I feel like I need to wrap that up. But no, we, go ahead. Floor's yours. 
the the last manned spacecraft our country launched was designed before I was born. And I was uh, studying in a field with nothing to work on. Uh, I had a buddy at USC that, that uh, went to study aerospace engineering, and, and uh, he started in a class of 73, and he ended in a class of three. And he went to work at Boeing, and he worked on, on, on the space shuttle. Uh, but, um, but in a lot of ways, that the future that we thought we would have, and I, I talk about Star Trek, and I talk about Back to the Future, and I talk about uh, uh, you know, uh, U2's guitarist, The Edge, uh, uh, being a geek who's, who came back to us from the future, and Google talks about uh, Sergey coming back to us from the future. And, um, you know, I, I, want to see, I want to see that happen. You know, we, we, there's, there's so much to get frustrated about in today's world. Um, and, and maybe more so in recent years, but there's so much that's, that's come a long way, uh, because everybody's sort of scrubbed in and got involved. If, if I can leave a book recommendation, uh, I read a book called Factfulness by Hans, uh, Rosling. And it was probably the most uplifting book I've read in ages, uh, because by almost any measure, the world is much, much better today than it's ever been in the past. Um, and that's largely because of people working together, using science and technology to solve problems. And um, if we could be in a world where that is more and more prevalent and more and more normalized, um, that's that's what I want to work toward. And it, and it takes a degree of uh tolerance and a degree of inclusivity uh because we're, we're going to need to embrace uh the diversity of passions and experience and hmm. perspectives uh that the the world has to offer to to make that happen so it's it's a long-winded answer but I, I think that's ultimately why it's important to me that everybody get involved in dreaming up the world they want to live in and, and creating that future as an architect of the possible. I, as, as a teacher, uh, as a business person, as a, as a guy that's, that's trying to do something similar on this little podcast here, I certainly echo all of that. Mark, you know, I, I want to first of all say thank you for coming on the show today. But before I let you go, there is a tradition here on TeacherCast. Right. I'm wondering if I can put you up for the challenge. This is something we call the Jersey Five. Five questions to get you thinking and to really inspire what is great in this world. Would you be interested in taking the Jersey Five? Oh, of course. All right. I'm going to tell you now. The first one's a little easy. It gets a little harder. All Number right. one, your first, your, your favorite Twitter account or hashtag to follow? Oh, boy. Uh, boy, that's a good one. Twitter, Twitter's been bringing back to me some some old favorites recently. I've been seeing uh, uh, Wes Fryer and Will Richardson and Lucy Gray. Uh, favorite Twitter account or hashtag to follow? Naturally, I follow EdTech Team. Uh, I f- follow Google EI. That might be the other one. I, I think I, I've obviously been uh, – that's the Google for Education Innovators, um, formerly the Google Certified Teachers. Like That's a program I've been involved with for 13 years, and, and uh, I'm, I'm – it remains the program I'm most passionate about, and that community is so prolific and um, so dynamic and so innovative. It's I, I always love seeing what they're what they're posting and sharing uh, with each other and with the world, and particularly with the academy the way it is these days. Um, over the last three years, with each of them launching a, an innovative project over the course of the year, like it's it's just really amazing to see all of that take shape. So it's I still get a lot out of um, following that tag. 
Uh, number two, your favorite educational tool. And I'll let you do one that says Google in front of it and one that doesn't say Google in front of it. Oh, yeah. Favorite educational tool. Uh, well, I think just broadly, I'm, I'm still going to say blogs. Um, people seem to need fewer blogging workshops these days. <laughs> but I think if there's one thing you could do with your students um, to sort of have the maximum impact on their education, that would or one technology to use, that, that would be it. Um, when I, when I um, did my Ph.D., uh, and studied video games and learning, uh, probably the biggest value I found was if kids are going to play games and learn from them, they need to be reflecting on that and that bring in that element of metacognition and, um, and, uh, publishing and sharing and, and, and commenting on each other's thoughts about it. That's where the real value was not when they played the game, but after when they reflected on it. Right? Nice. All right. Number three, these are going to get harder. The best advice you have ever been given as a, and sometimes I put teacher, business owner, professional, whatever that word is. Sometimes we say podcaster, but I'll I'll let you fill in the blank. Best advice you've ever been given as a. I I know things like this come to mind all the time and I have so many little anecdotes, but it's, uh, it's tough to come up with one on the spot like this. That would be the the best advice I've been given. Um, Hmm. I don't know. Let me, maybe, maybe I can come back to that one. All right. All right. All right. I'm telling you, they're going to get harder here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Number four, what do you, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you this sentence the way that I usually give it and we'll, we'll tweak it as it needs. But the sentence is, what do you hope your students remember about you when they graduate at the end of the year? So maybe for you, it's what do you hope people take away from an ed tech team event? What hope, what do you hope people take away from your book, from your some form of what do you hope people take away from Dr. Mark Wagner? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I I always come back to that. I hope they leave inspired and empowered. Right. Um, I, I hope they, uh, they leave with a sense of, uh, connection, I think to, to, my vision for the future. Like I I hope that I am somewhat successful in passing that on. Um, that they they want to see sort of that um, uh, p- peaceful, inclusive, progressive, uh, exciting future um, for themselves and for their their kids. I think. But when I when I really think about being in a classroom or working with kids at a student summit or or even working with teachers at you know face to face in a PD situation, uh, maybe not so much in an audience, but in a workshop. Like I, I want them to leave. Uh, feeling like we connected and feeling like I cared about them, right? Hmm. And, and I think that's a pretty core thing for a teacher to feel. All right. You're still on the hook for number three, but we're going to go to number five now. What is the yeah. best best teachable moment you've ever had? Oh, for myself? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. There's so many. Something involving family, something involving PD, something involving. Yeah, there's so many. I I, uh, I remember one in particular because I used it in an interview years ago. But I uh, we we had a family night. So speaking of engaged community, we were we were launching. I think this was on the handheld program uh, that I mentioned. We we were launching these handhelds and um, needed to communicate to parents what was what kids were going to be bringing home and what the expectations were and that sort of thing and we had uh you know an, an evening event planned in um 
in a community. And it was one of these schools that there was clearly like a two sides of the tracks community. And this was the night, uh, you know, sort of on the, uh, less well-to-do side of the tracks. Right. And totally unrelated to that. I got violently sick and, uh, just, I think it must've been like two in the afternoon or something. I went home from work and I couldn't, you know, that was done for. Uh, and the event must have been like seven o'clock that night or something. And by the time I rolled around, I was in bed and completely, completely missed it. And, um, you know, and it was, as you can imagine, every sort of feeling about like, oh, you know, the, the translator was there and this guy didn't show up and, the, you know, and the families were there and all that. Um, so it was definitely a, a low point. But, you know, that's uh, the, one of the things I did was. <laughs> write a letter to the families and make sure it was sent out to everybody who also received the invitation. So it was kind of overkill because it was, it didn't just go to the, <laughs> the few families that showed up. It went out to everybody that, that got invited. Um, but I think that, that, uh, you know, to draw a lesson from it, that idea of, uh, acknowledging your mistakes and apologizing for them and, and doing what you can to make it better, uh, is, is always a teachable moment. And that's, uh, that's something that we, we try to teach our kids. It's something that uh, stands out for me in stories. And, and, uh, and it's interesting to see how much, um, how often people's heroes are people who can do that. Well, hmm. they're not, they're not right all the time, but they own it when they're not. Right. All right. So I'm going to give you two options here. This will be like, make a deal. We can go right. back to question number three, or you can take door number two. Oh, what's door number two. I, I you got to, you, you, you I, I will say about question three that uh, <laughs> I, I've got this great shelf of leadership books behind me and ed tech books and, and others at home. And, and uh, I, I, the people I work with are truly my heroes. Uh, but but I, I think I'm pretty terrible at, or have been pretty terrible at mentorship. And, um, and, and I've got, uh, I, I'm doing better at that now than I ever have. I'm actually in a, a Vistage CEO group. I have a Vistage chair that's, that's mentoring me and, and hmm. I've, I've found a lot of value in that. So anybody that's sort of going down that road and is interested in that, they have a, uh, a key man group to key person group, I suppose they should call it. That's, that's sort of like for folks who are not CEOs, but, but, uh, want to develop their leadership uh, capacity. Um, so I, I get a lot of great advice from them. Like monthly, I have a moment where I'm like, Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so those, those things are not coming to mind right now. That's okay. Look, things, well, but I think the idea of, I, of, of I, taking advantage of mentors is really valuable. I, I, I'm going to give you door number two anyway, because I wanted right. to end on this. And I think this will kind of get you thinking, what is your favorite all time U2 lyric? Oh, that's a good one. Well, <laughs> it's, it's probably dream out loud, but I'll give it, I'll give it another thought. And my all time favorite U2 song. Let me start there is uh is uh, well my favorite album is Zuropa and mm. uh and I think the 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 title song which is not the one I was going to talk about uh is really about like the it starts with this cacophony of of technical sounds and it's it's this auditory chaos and you know uh it, it's all about sort of being lost in 
the uh, the modern world, right? Now, this is written in 1993, but to any degree that the modern world is overwhelming <laughs> and dispiriting uh, in 1993, that's that's more true in 2019, right? I think it's sort of stood, stood the test of time. Um, uh, you know, and it's just there's these lyrics at the beginning around, and, and I have no religion, and I have no map, and I have no reasons, no reasons to get back, right? But by the end of that song, uh, they, they've broken out of it, and Ed just guitar is, is coming through, and, and Bono's voice is coming through, less distorted, and you, you get the, she's got a dream of the world she wants to live in, she's got a dream out loud, and, uh, you know, let's let's get your head out of the mud, baby, let's take the overground, and it's this really hopeful, uh, you know, anthemic uh, song at the end. So I think, yeah, for me, that's, I'll, I'll fall back on that, is, is the dream of the world you want to live in. Uh, I, will, I, I will put a link to that in our show notes. Mark, I want to say thank you for your time. Um, everything that we're looking at doing, you can certainly find over here on TeacherCast podcast episode number 203. Mark, I'll let you give the last words here. Where can somebody find you if they have any questions, if they have any, you know, looking for advice on anything? Where do we find out more information about Dr. Mark Wagner? Sure thing. I mean, uh, at Mark Wagner on, on Twitter is a great place. I'm, I'm Mark Douglas Wagner on uh, Facebook, and I see more and more uh, interaction there. Um, a couple of things that we had in the notes we didn't get to talk about. Obviously, you can find everything we do at edtechteam.com, but if you are in a position, like you said, of being a, a coach, an instructional coach of any kind, um, or if you've got if you're a leader with coaches at your site, uh, or district, uh, check out dynamiclearningproject.com because that's our mentoring program for coaches uh, that we developed uh, in partnership with Google over the last uh, two and a half years. Um, and uh, obviously, if, if you need help, not just with education technology professional development, but with transforming the culture at your school, um, the, the book is a great place to start. And EdTech Team is a, is a transformation partner with Google in addition to our, our uh, being the partner of the year for education last year. Um, so we'd, we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to learn what you're up to and, and see how we can help. And of course, we hope that you guys had a great time on this episode. One more time, thank you to EdTech Team and Mark Wagner for coming on the show today. If you have any questions, please reach out to us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voice message over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. I would love to hear from you guys and learn how you guys are getting ready for the school year. And that wraps up episode number 203 of the TeacherCast podcast. On behalf of everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.